0: That becomes more and more evident when we consider tragedy, which befalls us the likes of which we're all thinking about with regard to the massacre in Colorado. What do you do at times like this? Where do you look? Um, Wise people are trying to make sense of the incomprehensible. I'm in favor of it. There's something in us to try to make sense of what seems to be so irrational. But when we do that, we're prone to come up with the wrong explanations. So this seems to be a good opportunity some are taking, I think, a little poor timing, to suggest, for instance, that the solution might be stiffer gun control laws, for instance. it's not my purpose today to weigh in on that subject at all, except to say this. I don't think that's the issue. There's something in a person apart from what is external to the person. There's an internal environment that makes it rife for one such as this man in Colorado to do what he did. What is it in us? So these proposals to to be a deterrent, you know, better security in movie theaters or I don't know, Gun control laws. Okay, if you want to. But I don't think that's it. Last week we discussed uh, Luke chapter 19 and the Lord's uh, entry, most unusual and surprising entry into Jerusalem, the first time on a donkey. And during that time he went up onto an elevated area known as the Mount of Olives. And what did he do there when he looked to the city? Yeah, he cried, he wept. And he explains why he wept. He said, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. He said, if only you knew, even you, the things which make for peace. And while countless numbers of people are weeping legitimately over the grief uh, due to the loss of, the horrific loss of loved ones, I think the weeping Messiah is weeping, and for the same reason. You did not know the things which make for peace. Some of our leaders, political and otherwise, think the things that make for peace are stiffer gun control laws, or I don't know, better security in movie theaters, or recognizing, schooling each other on how to recognize the the, the warning signs. Okay. But those are not the things that make for peace. The prince of peace makes for peace. And here's the deal. Nobody here is self-generated. You didn't just pop out of the oceans through some random coming together of life-sustaining particles. You don't have enough faith to believe in that, do you? That is nonsense. You're designed, and your design posits a designer. So you're not self-generated. You're created by a, Creator, the giver of life. Look, we have run an experiment. We're trying to live life, having removed the giver of life from the formula thereof. And the experiment has failed. And so now there's an unsettledness. Folks, it's not just Colorado, it's a bus bombing in Bulgaria, it's the slaughter of thousands of Syrians, it's upheaval in Egypt, it's bombings in Israel, it's uh, on and on and on and on. <clears throat> Thinking people have to say there's something in us, an internal environment that gives rise to these things. Is it suggestive movies? and so? Uh, maybe. Maybe they enhance, but they only enhance what's already in us. You cannot live in God's world at odds with him and be at peace. And if you're not at peace on the inside, it's going to be much less likely that you'll be able to be at peace with others. If there's no peace in terms of the vertical dimension, there cannot peace be peace in terms of the horizontal dimension. And Jesus said, "I am the prince of peace." Something happens when you cease to be at odds with God. I know what happens. He puts in us through his very spirit love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and self control. What we see in Colorado is a man who had none, no restraint. And we could explain it psychologically, I don't know. Maybe failed medical school experience, I don't know. People are looking for early childhood abuse, maybe, I don't know. His relatives said we saw it coming, so there were some signs, I don't know. Is it someone feeling so marginalized and disenfranchised that he discovered a way to become famous? I don't know. All I know is all this emanated from something within. It's not the externals. It's not the environment which we have to legislate out of existence. And all the rest is something in us. But when we come to be no longer at war with the God who is there, the probability of these things being done diminishes. And the wise people of the world would love to externalize this. And therefore, we do not have to look within and say, in spite of my best efforts to be at peace one with another, we've not succeeded. I want you to show me a place in the world that's not in conflict. Show me. I wonder if the Lord Jesus is saying, I weep. You don't know the things which make for peace. You think it's the United Nations. You think it's alcohol and drugs, but it only is for a little while and then you wake up and you find out not only do you not have peace, now you have guilt. It's not internet pornography, it's not compulsive gambling, it's not compulsive buying, it's not American materialism, it's not uh, overeating. We even use the term comfort food. These things last for a little bit. I'm, I'm you, I like, I'm not preaching to anyone. But these are not the things that make for peace. In Hebrew, Jesus is referred to as the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. His death, his burial, his resurrection. These are the things that make for peace. So what do we do? We're asked here as church leaders increasingly by well-intentioned people, what are you leaders going to do? To take back America. We could revolt. Let's do, want to do that? We can burn down buildings. We could, whatever you want to do. But by the way, let me just remind you, all of those things are, are things that anyone could do. What is the distinctively Christian weaponry? It's prayer. That's what we could do. So I want to make a suggestion to you. You can't avoid the news. It's the way it is. You can't avoid it. But don't stay with it too long. Be informed. Then stop thinking. You'll drive yourself crazy. You're going to fall below Francis Schaeffer used to call this the line of despair. You will be uh, increasingly hopeless. So I like to use the news as a prayer prompter. Colorado. Prayer prompter. Join me in praying. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a shocking surprise to us, not to you, Most High God. From your vantage point, you see it coming. In fact, you exist outside of time, seeing the end from the beginning. I'm glad for that. You're composed. Nothing surprises you. And I'm so grateful that your response to all of this is one of such compassion. You weep. For we do not know the things which make for peace. So so, Lord, here is our prayer. Others are weeping uncontrollably right now. Is it within you to use that as an opportunity to turn them towards you? Of course it is. You're the redeemer. Oh, God, would you see fit to redeem out of this ones who would have life anew, eternal life? Could it be that you could use something like this as a catalyst for what? I guess we could call it revival, a revival of interest in you. You are known, I'll bet you, by everyone in Colorado by name, yet not known. What about interest in you? Would you use this horrific tragedy to conjure it up? Oh, God, we pray for your glory. Why? That's in the people's best interest. A diminished confidence in human agents and sheer and utter dependence on you. Therefore, if you're glorified, seen, revealed, lifted up, maybe people will turn to you. Come to know the things which make for peace. Oh, God. God, would you use this for good? What a thing for us to say. We wouldn't say it but to you because you make a promise. I can use all things for good. Only you can. Oh, God, please do. Lord Jesus, we pray for hurt and broken hearts that they not be hardened but only softened so as to come to the throne of grace, yours to receive grace And mercy in this terrible time of need. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Watch the news. Read the news. Don't stay with it too long. Sylvester Stallone's 36-year-old son died. I think it was drug-related. Stop and pray for Sylvester Stallone. I don't like him. He does not stand for me. Represent his... That's not the point. (sighs) He's a parent. What a time. Maybe to become an adopted son. Pray. Tom Cruise's another marriage ended. So I pray, oh God, show him the deception of Scientology. Scientology can't keep people together and at peace and all the rest. So I'm only offering... Syria! Thousands of Syrians being killed. Could I be honest with you as a Jewish guy? I don't have a real affinity for Syria because they want to kill my people. Too bad. We are not permitted the luxury of hate. We're citizens of heaven, we pray. A Syrian soul is worth as much as a Jewish soul or any other soul. So I pray, oh, God... Would you use this terrible upheaval in Syria as a means by which the gospel of peace would go forth? Egypt is now an Islamic state. Hmm? Led by a key figure in the Muslim Brotherhood. Is that good? No. It surely isn't good for Christians in Egypt, I can tell you that. So what do I do? Pray, pray. It's a prayer prompter. Let the news be your prayer list. So as one of the leaders in the church, you want to know, what are we doing? What are we doing? Pray, pray. That's the distinctively Christian tactic. Why? Because the real answer from your leaders is, we don't know what to do. That's the real answer. We don't know how to turn it back. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Why? Because we're forgetting the distinctively Christian tactic. Pray, pray, pray. Pray to the weeping Messiah. Who cares? Pray. So in Luke 19, he weeps. Why? He saw what was going to come 40 years from the time he spoke. In Luke 19, he saw A.D. 70. Around A.D. 30, he saw A.D. 70. How? God exists outside of time. And what he saw was a horrific event at the hands of the Roman 10th legion. They besieged Jerusalem for about 143 days, threw up a barricade and starved the people therein. Depending on who you ask, about a million to a million and a half perished. It actually was Vespasian who was leading the troops, but he was called back to Rome to be their emperor. Why? Nero, he was a good egg, wasn't he, Nero? Hey, listen listen to me, listen to me. You're a little distressed by some leaders in the world today. Don't be so... don't think it's new you know Nero wasn't exactly your eagle scout either look uh, when the world uh, seeks to dethrone the only trustworthy leader the Lord Jesus you get Nero anyway they wanted to get Nero and he found out they wanted to get him so he denied them the privilege of killing him he took his own life committed suicide so then what happens he has three successors to the throne they were hor- horrific. They got killed too. So the Roman leadership uh, sends a note to Vespasian. He's now in Jerusalem. He's trying to wipe out Jerusalem. They say, Vespasian, come home, be our emperor. Oh, and by the way, by that we mean our God. Do you understand this? The Roman emperors uh, took on themselves the 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 uh, description of deity. They they said they're gods. They're gods. So Vespasian goes back to Rome, and he leaves his son Titus in charge. So it's Titus who led the 10th Roman Legion against Jerusalem in A.D. 70. They were quite successful in doing what they did. They burnt it to the ground. They destroyed the temple except for one part of it. And they did it. The Romans did it as if to say, in your face, Jews, this is what happens when you defy Rome. You're left with nothing but this. What is it? Would you like to guess? What remains today? A wall. We call it the wailing wall. Isn't it ironic that the Jewish Messiah wailed because he saw that his people were going to wail because they did not recognize the time of his visitation. So you have this wall, and uh, people pray to it. By the way, if if you would like, there's a site online. You can go to it. You can type in your prayer request, you know, because the people, they, they write out their prayer request, they they fold them on paper. They put it in the, in the crevices of the wall in Jerusalem. If you can't get to Jerusalem, not to worry. Type this out on the Internet. Push the button. It'll go to some rabbis over there. They'll make a copy of it, and for a fee, I'm sure, they'll, they'll put it into the wall. So you could do that, or if you'd like, you could just talk to the Lord Jesus from Houston, Texas, USA. Doggone it. You don't have to pray to a wall see that guy right there that's Ricky Ricky I apologize but I will be apologizing to you for many things and the reason I point to Ricky is starting today he doesn't have to pray to a wall he can pray to almighty God because he's accepted his son the Lord Jesus that's a new believer right there that's Ricky Ricky I did this because now you've got a big family where, where are your family I'm sorry buddy you got to take the good with the bad we're with you I want you to pray for that guy's growth in the Lord Jesus. So anyway, at the wall. By the way, have you been there? Anyone visited there? Yeah, some people have visited. What you see is not the extent of it. Think 50 feet further below. The present street level is... It's not the full extent of it. He's, how does it get so high? Well, you know, one civilization conquers another, and they build on the one they just defeated. You got debris, rubble, all that kind of stuff. You can go down 50 feet further below, and then you're on the actual street Herod built, it, and the Lord Jesus walked on it. He's the God, man, fleshed walked on that street. See these massive, multi-ton Herodian stones. How'd they put it into play? He was a genius, that's how. Engineering, architectural genius, and nuts, by the way. Did you know that? <laughs> Sometimes there's a fine line between the two. Also, it doesn't help to have, like, slaves at your disposal. You know what I mean? You, just, you say, I'll kill you if you don't put these stones in place. So that's what happens. You know, that wall is not actually part of the temple. It's a retaining wall. So here's what happened. Solomon built the first temple, right? Got destroyed. And so it was refurbished by a guy named Zerubbabel and then later by a guy named Herod. Herod, But Herod, a little bit of, no, a lot of an egomaniac said, Mine has, my temple has to be bigger than Solomon's. So the second temple it's called, it was Herod's temple, second temple, required a platform much larger than the one existed. So to do this, think about all this earthen work, you have to, retain, you have to hold it in place. So they build a big rectangle, a wall. It's unbelievable. He had it even leaning in. As you stand at the base, you get the impression that it's going this way, but it's not. Each, is, each layer is set in a little bit more, a little bit more. Brilliant. And so all the Western or Wailing Wall is, is a wall that retained all the earthen works for the platform, which was filled with all this debris and earth, and compacted and leveled, and then the temple was put on it. It's not there now. The third holiest site in Islam is there, the Dome of the Rock. But the Jews go to this particular wall because they think it's as close to the Holy of Holies as you can get. Holy of Holies was a little box, a room in the temple. You can't go in there, only the high priest so that's the that's the um, that's the wall. Jesus wept, he saw all this he saw all that you didn't recognize the time. you wouldn't be praying to a wall. you wouldn't be occupied by Rome, you wouldn't. He did not recognize the things which make for peace. Okay, so that being the setting, here's what happens. Luke 19, Luke 19. Um, and we're going to start around verse 45. Luke 19:45. He goes into the temple. And by the way, the Lord went into the temple through a gate, through a gate called the Eastern Gate. That makes sense. It's on the eastern side of the city. Eastern Gate, also called the Golden Gate. Uh, The gate existing there today is right on top of the one that existed here in Luke 19. Two arches called the golden gate, eastern gate. Um, And the Lord went through it on that, we call it Palm Sunday. And I shared with you last week, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, 500 years before the Lord's entry, Zechariah said, your king's coming. But in a surprising way, he's going to be on a donkey. Does that mean he was denying his kingship? Oh, no, 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 no. Kings would enter a city on a donkey if they were coming in peace. On a white horse, if they were coming to conquer. The Lord Jesus said, I'm coming to make war, but not against you. I come first to make war against sin. Later, I come to make war against sinners. So he came. Zechariah got it right 500 years in advance. You may be interested in knowing Zechariah also told us about the Lord's second coming. I want to read it to you. It's Zechariah chapter 14. So the first prophecy, Zechariah 9, the Lord's first coming. Second, Zechariah 14, his second. It's verse 4. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, 2,660 feet high to the east of Jerusalem, Between it and Jerusalem is a valley called the Kidron Valley. The text says right here, Zechariah said, Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle, get this, from east to west by a very large valley. So that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. And then verse 9 says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. When he comes, it will require amazing topographical rearrangement of things. There used to be a pedestrian bridge from Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley through the Golden Gate into Jerusalem. It's no longer there, but there will be this valley from east to west. And the Lord will come, the book of Revelation tells us, no, not then on a donkey, but on a white horse to rule and to reign the kingdoms of the world. Listen, folks if you have responded rightly, to the ramifications of his first coming, you will have a hopeful expectation with regard to his second coming. But if you have missed the day of visitation, his first coming, you are missing the things which make for peace. And his second coming will conjure up tremendous fear in your life. Be right about his first coming and look forward to his second coming. Speaking of his first coming, he went through the golden gate. So uh, it's a gate which today is one of Jerusalem's eight gates, but not a working gate. You can't pass through it because it's bricked up. Who did it? In 1541, the then ruler of Jerusalem an Ottoman Turk named Suleiman bricked it up. Why? He heard this crazy legend that this Yeshua, this Jesus, his followers. This is crazy, isn't it? Jesus' followers actually expected him to return. <laughs> Suleyman, the uh, magnificent he's called, he said, I have to quell this crazy rumor. So I'll brick up the gate. That's what he did. Then later, they put a Muslim cemetery right alongside the gate. Why? Islam does not believe Jesus is divine. It surely doesn't believe he's a savior of anybody. It simply records him, in quotes, respect as one of the prophets. Of course, Muhammad is the chief prophet. Let's not be wrong about this. But the Quran teaches Jesus is accorded some measure of respect as a prophet, and no prophet worthy of respect would corrupt and defile his being by being in the place of the dead. Therefore, we'll put a cemetery there. This too will quell any notion on the part of his followers that he's going to pass through those gates because he won't get defiled by being around deadness. Islam doesn't understand who Jesus is. When Jesus is amongst the dead, not just physically dead, but folks like you and I, once spiritually dead, we do not communicate our deadness and defilement to him, but he, contingent on our faith, can communicate his righteousness to us. He doesn't get dirty by osmosis. We get clean by faith in him. He's coming again. How will it get unbricked? I have no idea. But I don't think bricks are a real obstacle to the creator (laughs) of the universe. So wait and see if Zechariah is going to be right about his prophecy of the Lord's second coming. I think he will be. So Jesus, verse 45, enters the temple. Look what he does. He begins to drive out those who were selling. He said to them, it's written, my house shall be a house of prayer. You made it a robber's den. This account is paralleled by the other gospel writers. You may have read about him on the same occasion, overturning tables. It's the same account. When you put together the four accounts, you get a composite, a full and composite picture. This is Luke's account. The Lord enters. He drives out these who were selling, he says to them, it is written. And he quotes two passages, one from Isaiah, one from Jeremiah. This is significant. He could have said, and God said. Instead, he said, it is written. Listen, two different things. When you say, and God said, you are authenticating the words of God. When you say, it is written, you are authenticating the written word of God. You know what your view of scripture should be? No less than that of the Lord's. Today in churches, it's almost like the Bible is optional. Come on, guys. Jesus quoted from Isaiah and Jeremiah as if it is authoritative. It is written. Not church tradition. Not I think. Not I wasn't raised that way. Look, you're entitled to all this. But none of that is authoritative. The buck stops. With the authoritative written and scripturated word of God. Interestingly, it's even the Old Testament today. Churches are going past the Old Testament like it's uh, obsolete. What? The Lord Jesus had a high view of scripture. Ours should be as high. Oh, my goodness. He said, it is written. This place is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a rub. Why is he so upset? And is he upset? Yeah. By the way, anger. Is a god a god given uh, emotion? Did you know that? He's indignant. What's happening here? The Jewish religious leadership are conducting secular business on a sacred precinct. What do you mean by that? Look, it's Passover time right now. It's one of the three pilgrim feasts of Israel. That means. Jews from all over the existing universe go up to Jerusalem. And it's what it? Is, they go up to Jerusalem. And they're going up is actually something it's, you can read about. They're, they're ascending to Jerusalem. And then when they go, they sing, make the trip a little more palatable and get ready for worship. So this is recorded in the Psalms. They're called the Psalms of Ascent. They're ascending, not the Pearland. They're ascending to Jerusalem, for crying out loud. Songs of Ascent, they're going up on holidays like Passover, during which time hundreds of thousands of animals are being offered in sacrifice to provide atonement for sin. Yeah, but here's what's happening. This costs money. And so people are bringing coins. Jews are bringing coins from around the Roman Empire. But depending on where they're from, if they're not from Judea, for instance, they're from another part of the Roman Empire whose image is on the coin. Caesar. But Caesar claimed to be God. Jews said, what? There's only one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we have this term, traif unkosher. That coin is unkosher. It defiles stuff. But here's the deal. You came to the right place. We'll take the dirty coins. We'll give you clean coins for a small fee. By the way, don't get out of your Jewish stereotypes. Um, all religion makes money off the backs of its people. Take it easy. That's not just something attributable to Jews. It's you too. It's human nature. So th- that's what they. Not only that, they're selling animals to be offered in sacrifice. Yeah, but wait a second. In Jerusalem, down to this very day, you can find yourself a deal in an alley—a really good deal. You know, someone might say, my goodness, I can get three lambs for the price of one. You know, what these guys are selling one lamb for in the temple, I get three. So you do it. You think you beat the system. You bring the three lambs. And the lamb inspector says, oh, sorry, does not qualify. Why not? Ah, the hoofs don't look right. What do you mean the hoofs? I'm telling you. It's the wrong color. What do you mean wrong color? Look at its tail. Its tail is weird. Don't worry, don't worry. Even though these won't do, this one will. It's yours for a fee. This is going on. What if you're poor? Lamb is not even an issue for you. You can't afford it. Well, the law of Moses had a provision for that. How about birds? Get some birds. So once again, you're coming from Galilee in the north. You're going south to Judea. You're bringing your own birds. You bring them. And the bird examiners say, eh, the beak is not right. Look at those feathers. Are you kidding me? You think this is fit for God? Don't worry. We got birds that'll pass for a fee. This is what's happening. And you know where it's happening? In a place called the Court of the Gentiles. That's where you guys went. That's as far as you guys went. And the court of the women, if you're a woman or a Gentile, oh my goodness, if you're both, you're in trouble. If you're a Gentile woman in that day, you ain't getting too close to the temple. In fact, there was a four and a half foot wall, a barricade built to keep you in your place. It's called the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women. You don't get where the Jews get. You don't get that close to the temple. I'm not making this up. In fact, archaeologists have found the inscriptions that were placed variously spaced out on this four-and-a-half-foot wall to warn Gentiles and women not to come closer. And this is what it said. This is, I'm not making this up. This is true. Let no man of another nation enter inside the barrier and the fence around the temple. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death follows. Keep your distance, Gentiles. Keep your distance, women. I think it's with reference to this that Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, read it sometime, said, one time you were far off. But now the barrier has been removed and he has made both groups into one new man through the, Christ, uh, through the cross of Christ Jesus. I think Paul's referring to this barrier. So listen to this. Why are they even there, these Gentiles? It's the Jewish temple. Why? Why? Because they had heard of the God of Israel and they want him as their God. Do you remember the Ethiopian government official, the man from North Africa? He's referred to as the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, he went to Jerusalem, and on his return, he was so empty and dissatisfied, he, was not, he didn't succeed in finding God there. But he's reading scripture. It was Isaiah 53. Remember, Philip was led there and said, you know what you're reading? He said, how could I? Unless someone explains it to me. And Philip explained it to him, and he was radically saved, and he was baptized, the whole deal. He's a Gentile guy, a guy from Africa, went up to the Jewish temple, Why? Because the word was traveling fast. (gasps) The God of Israel is the true God. And so Gentiles came to worship and to praise him. And what do they see? Business. Profiteering religionists. Distracting people from access to almighty God. Now some people on the basis of this say you can't have bake sales in churches. The kids can't wash cars and raise money for camp. Now look, if a church wants that policy, fine. But that's not what this is teaching at all. Come on. This is saying when people come to your church, let them have an undistracted look at you, loving God, honoring God, worshiping God, praising God. The fact that there's a bake sale to raise money, say for a missions trip, may actually do that. Not distract them, but show them, look at how these people use their resources and time. This God must really have captivated them. So if you don't want to do a bake sale, that's your business. But don't blame it on scripture. That's not what this is teaching at all. This is just saying, what did they see when they come? You know what these poor people saw? And this was taking place in the court of the... Je- they saw business. They saw exploitation. They saw religious leaders, not only not making a way for them to see the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but distracting them from him. And not only that, I think in overturning the tables, he, the Lord he symbolically was saying the old system is being overturned. What's the old system? Everyone pays a half shekel tax Every Jewish male, you pay a half shekel tax. Who's paying for all these animals? Who's supporting the priests, the temple? costs money, so you pay a tax. That's what's on the table. In overturning it, I think the Lord is saying, no need to finance the operation consisting of the sacrifice of bulls and goats. Why? Because I, the Lamb of God, will suffer and die once for all, for all. I think in overturning these tables, he's saying there's a new table. It's a communion table. What's on it? Symbol of his shed blood and broken body. For who? Anybody. For there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. With regard to... There is no barrier, no walls from the point of view of Jesus. Only religion. Religious say, if you want God, you must access him through our organization. (gasps) And Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. False advertising was happening in the temple. You know what the religious people were in essence saying? Look at here. You can be a a real renegade. You can be a horrific person. But as long as you offer sacrifice in the prescribed way on the prescribed day... At the prescribed place. And in the prescribed way, it doesn't matter that you're a reprobate on the inside. You can win God's faith. You can buy him off. And the Lord Jesus is indignant about this. That's externalizing stuff. But we need to change from the inside. Look at here. The guy responsible for the massacre in Colorado, have you seen pictures of him? Looks like a monster, doesn't he? No. He looks like the boy next door. We foolish people make judgments on the basis of... We even elect people on the basis of how they look and dress and speak. Do what you want to do. But that's not the measure of the man or the woman. Jerry Sandusky, Penn State University. Years and years, horrific abuse of children. Have you seen pictures of Jerry Sandusky? I mean, he looks like a man's man. An all-American guy. Went to church the whole deal. Folks, when evil rears its evil head, we are shocked because we think evildoers look evil. You know what evildoers look like? You. Okay, me too. Extraordinary evil is done by ordinary-looking people. It's a problem on the inside. We have found the enemy, and it is within. And Jesus knows we need to be changed on the inside. Religion can only make us whitewash sepulchers. But the structure of the building is in decay. So these religionists said, look at us, making a big money thing about this. Don't worry, we can appease God. Plunk down your temple tax, take your lamb thing Bow down a few times. Give your nod to God. Everything will be cool. <gasps> and Jesus said, you made a house of prayer a den of robbers. Why do you say that? Remember I told you prior to coming to Jerusalem, he was in Jericho? Remember Zacchaeus and all that? Jericho is to the east. So he traveled on the Jericho-Jerusalem road. He's going east to west. The road still exists. But you can travel it with less concern today. Why? In that day, it was a habitat of highway robbers. If you're traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, there's a good chance you're going to get robbed. And why, why didn't the, the uh, officials, of the they clamp down on it? Well, you've got to find the robbers. Where are they? They're in caves. Plenty of caves and places to hide on the Jericho to Jerusalem road. It was a problem. You know what the Lord said? there are more thieves in this temple than on the Jericho to Jerusalem road. You've turned it into a den of thieves. Oh, he's upset. He's upset at any obstruction put in the way of people who need to have access to him. He's pretty upset. Legitimately. So, what does he do in his last week? I'll show you what he did. Look at verse 47. He was teaching daily in the temple. Wow. That's how he spent his last week on earth? Teaching daily? That tells me teaching is important, huh? You know what I'm finding today in a lot of churches? A de emphasis on teaching. Let's just sing. I sing, singing is good as a replacement for teaching of the word of God. Let's just fun. Let's have fun. What? Let's just entertain. What? Jesus spent his last week teaching that which he accorded a high value to. It is written scripture. He's teaching. He's teaching. He's teaching. You shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You have to know teaching, God's word. And you know where he's doing it? It says in the temple, right? Not actually. Not the temple building, but in the courtyard of the temple. You had the temple building and different courtyards. And around it was a porch, a big porch all the way around. Open on one side, held up. It was a roof held up by pillars. Such a good thing. Because you could gather under it and it would protect you from the elements. Rain or more likely sun. You could go there. It was called the portico or porch or, of Solomon. Why? I don't know. It had nothing to do with Solomon. But anyway, that's what it's called. You could go there. Who? Anyone. Because where it was placed was quite significant. Unrestricted access. Not Not just access to Jews. Anyone could go there. And visiting itinerant rabbis would teach under the porches. And what they would do is they'd they'd sit. Interestingly in that day the teacher sat, the students stood. That would be a neat twist. We'd bring down the membership of this church real quick. But anyway, so uh, the Lord Jesus is one of those, and he's teaching there and people are coming and, and they're listening and they're hanging on every word, but not everyone is too thrilled about him. And so you have the religious and political leaders of Israel. Look what they did. But the chief priest's and the scribes, and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. Oh, my goodness. The religious and political leadership of Israel is trying to destroy the Messiah of Israel. Why? What is he saying that's so terrible? What is he saying? You know why they're trying to destroy him? They understood what he did when he overturned the tables. He's overturning their whole system. And if their system goes, there goes their uh, profession, their prestige, their popularity. And so selfishly, religious, political leaders of that world, I think of this world, want to snuff out Jesus. You know what Jesus followers say? We must obey God rather than man. The world leaders don't like that. My son's a chaplain. He's with the 82nd Airborne in Afghanistan right now, under fire. Sent me a couple of pictures. He baptized a paratrooper, another paratrooper the other day. Where? They don't have churches. Big plastic container they used to send over their tents. It's empty. They got a Afghan to, a man to drive his water truck, fill up this little container with water. My son said, you don't want to know where the water came from. But you do what you could in those circumstances. And in the water goes a uh, member of the 82nd Airborne. Like you, Ricky, came to know the Lord Jesus. You here, this other guy there. To be baptized. That means to, it's, a, you know, it's when you say, I belong to Jesus. He belongs to me. I want everyone to know about it. It's a good thing. So anyway, uh, my son baptized me. And the people are watching, soldiers, men, women. It's church service, but a little different than this one. They are in armor (laughs) and got big guns (laughs) because the enemy can attack at any time. And they're all gathered around. And my son said, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He came to know Jesus. And the last vestige, in my opinion, of conservative American values is being challenged, the military. Because chaplains in the military are having pressure put upon them to snuff out the words of Jesus with regard to marriage. Chaplains are being told, if two same-gender people want you to marry them, you must do it. Chaplains are being told, this Jesus, okay, but you don't have to pray in his name all the time, do you? Things are changing. Before my son went to Afghanistan, he spoke here. I said when I arranged it, and I cleared it with the leadership of the church, of course, I said, Grant, when you come to speak, I want you to wear your uniform. He said, I can't. What do you mean you can't? The military doesn't permit it. What are you talking about? You're a chaplain. Can't do it. You're coming to preach at a church. You can't wear your uniform?
1: No, not allowed.
0: Why? Whenever you speak in a church or... Anything like that, you cannot wear your uniform. You're not allowed to do that. But apparently, you can now wear your uniform to march in a gay pride parade. Hmm. You can't wear your uniform to preach in a church, but you can wear your military uniform to take a stand in a gay pride parade promoting same-gender marriage. Welcome to the United States. And Jesus weeps. Because you don't know the things which make for peace. You don't know the things which make for peace. It's marriage to God on high, becoming the bride of Christ, not marrying someone you want to just because you want to, regardless of what Jesus said. So people are still trying to destroy Jesus. When you destroy his words, you destroy him. When you destroy his reputation, you destroy him. Listen to me. You better not insinuate anything critical of Allah or you'll have intifada, Muslim uprising, on your doorstep. But apparently, you can create as many sitcoms as you want that blasphemously humiliate the king of kings. And you know what's so ironic about it? Allah doesn't even exist. You must honor a non-entity, but you can dishonor the most high God. And what does Jesus do? Weeps. Because you don't know the things which make for peace. You're not recognizing the time of your first visitation. You will the second time. And he weeps. Be right about the first visitation. Look forward with hopeful anticipation to the second. These religious... Uh, and political entities, and that they hated each other. You had Sadducees, Pharisees, and Essenes. They were at each other's throats more than Republicans and Democrats. You think we got a divided government? Ain't nothing. These Sadducees, Pharisees, they hated each other. But they, you know what they had in common? An even greater contempt for this Jesus. While they're doing this, what about the people? Look what it says. They couldn't find anything that they might do for all the people were hanging on. To every word he said. <sighs> the book of Revelation speaks about how the Lord is going to do business with, the, uh, with global government, one world, and global religion. We're on the verge of it, by the way. Yeah, we're on the verge of it. Because those entities have no room for the king of kings. But while this is happening, there are those, usually More ordinary people who camp out on his every word. The English does not do justice to the original Greek. See where it says they're hanging on every word. It means they were captivated, totally undistracted, fully focused. They were astounded. They never heard anything like this. What were they hearing? Come to me. I'll give you rest. Religion said, keep your distance. The Messiah said, come to me. I'll give you rest. Religion said, if you do these external things, you're okay with God. The Lord Jesus said, you know and I know. None of that religion can break the horrific patterns in your life, but I can from the inside. Religion said, come to the temple on the right day and in the right way. And Jesus said, I'll make you the temple of my Holy Spirit. And they never heard this. Religion ranked some people as being more important than others. And Jesus said through one of his spokesmen, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. I don't understand why women's rights activists don't protest Islam more. Do you know what Islam requires of women and children for crying out loud? And the Lord Jesus said, there is no difference with regard to access to me. In that sense, there is no male No female, but the voices of the world would extinguish the voice of Jesus. So I asked my son, is your career in jeopardy if you continue to do these things? He said, yes, it is. I said, what is your choice? (laughs) Career or Christ Jesus? What's the only answer? Christ Jesus. Forget about career. My dear friends, we're in a world situation where the Lord is loosing the hold of things which have had us because we can't hang on to them anymore. People said, This is not the America I grew up with. That's right. And it's not going to be. Can't have it. The economy is not what he, I remember. If you could, uh, buying a home was the American dream, it's the appreciating item we all learned to have. It's not appreciating anymore. I remember in my family, I was the first kid to go to college. Oh, my God. In my family, holy Toledo, uh, you know, a pot of gold at the end of of the college tunnel. That ain't happening today. This is so good because a loving God is stripping from us idols which cannot hear us nor meet our needs. This is the day when we Christians said, say, oh, God, I know the things which make for peace. And I would rather forfeit all things than forfeit peace with you. It is a tragedy to die in a movie theater in Colorado, in the streets of Syria or Egypt or Israel or anywhere else. But that's not the biggest tragedy. The biggest tragedy is to die at odds with God. Then what? Then what? I asked my son, "Do you know why you're over there?" Not exactly, say he says he. I said, well, "How do you guys stay motivated?" <clears throat> he said, "I know my mission." <laughs> they lost 9 guys. What if you die without Jesus? Life is not the goal of life. Knowing the giver of life is the goal of life because that continues. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is removed. Why am I being so dramatic? Because we're going to experience increasing loss, persecution, injustice, and oppression for camping out on the words of Jesus Christ. And I say, so what? What can you lose that really matters? And you know what all this is going to do? It's going to shape us up. <laughs> we won't be as sluggish spiritually. We won't be as petty about church stuff. That's not my music. That's my... Ba- 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 <laughs> it matters. Don't misunderstand. It just doesn't matter that much. <laughs> there are things that... These are not the things that make for peace. These are just the things that that, that are more palatable to your ear. <laughs> Who cares? What about the things which make for peace? I'm telling you, we're a sleeping giant is the church of Jesus Christ, and I think the Lord is going to awake us. When we see increasing unsettledness on every front, and when we see the world turning against us increasingly, I think it's going to deepen our convictions, help us form our priorities, cause us to value fellowship with one another more than ever before, function as more vibrant salt and light. For what can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Nothing. Do you know the things which make for peace? A personal relationship with Jesus Christ makes for peace. Lord Jesus. And one of the privileges thereof is for us to do what we're doing right now. Pray to you. In praise, look what you've done, are doing, and will do. Magnificent. We're astounded and captivated. In fact, the very place where you reside, you characterize as a throne of grace. Oh, my. Grace greater than all our sin. We are so grateful, Lord Jesus. And we want to spread the wealth. Can you get us out of the box, please, so that we really function as salt and light? And, oh, God, we truly do pray that you would be high and lifted up more clearly in the minds of people in these challenging days than ever before. And thank you for being sovereign and for being good. Victory in Jesus, our Savior, forever. This we pray in your name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. If the Lord does not return, he may. Rapture is imminent. If he does not, we'll see you next week.